but I've done a full hour of uh, Italian. Oh wow, that's impressive. Mm. Actually, that's not that's not quite true. Half an hour in English and half an hour in Italian with a, a friend called Federico. Federico. Yeah. I have an Italian friend called Federico. Do you? I supervise his PhD. Ah, was he called Fede? No. You only ever knew no. him as Federico. Mm. They do some wick- wicked shortenings, I guess, like we yeah. do in English. Actually, uh, I wanted to ask you, did you... The word dude. D-U-D-E? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. does that a word, is that a word you use at all? Right? Like, he's a bit of a dude. Um, I'm just trying to think. Oh, dude. No, oh, it's... It, yeah, it's no. like, I'm, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't leap to it. But then also I noticed that you sent me a text message yesterday with, you said, mate, full stop, you're killing me, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the context for me sending those uh, texts to you? <laughs> Do you remember? No. This is a podcast in which two friends have serious conversations about silly things and silly conversations about serious things. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlife. I don't remember using the word mate comfortably either. No. So mate, dude, all of those sorts of, whether they're, you know, those kind of slightly, that sort of bro language. It is, isn't it? It's a little bit macho. It sits poorly in my frame of reference because I think when other people were learning how to do that, I probably was really awkward around other men or Mm. boys. So I just didn't really... You didn't learn. Well, I can't imagine, certainly in New Zealand, I can't imagine uh, not using the word mate, or in fact, more so in Australia. It's so common. It's so... Mm. Um, and yet your hesitancy just then made me go, oh, I, wonder what I, wonder, I wonder what I was participating in. But dude, I, dude is just... Uh, like I, don't, I might say he's a bit of a dude. Oh, a bit of a dude. Oh, dude. Dude, nah, never. I don't know. Yeah. Why, why, why has it come up for you? Oh, because uh, this happens quite often with uh, when I'm having conversations with Federico, is that um, he's really interested in learning kind of vernacular things, mm-hmm. which I always think is a little bit um, strange because, of course, getting that stuff right in another language, I mean, you've just described how getting it right in your own language is um, sometimes a little bit tricky, but in another language, those kinds of things are almost impossible. But he's re- he really likes it. So if I, you know, I, I might start, if I start a message that says, hey, fella, he's really like, and then asking if I say, how's things? Just thinks it's, he's really fascinated by it because it's a complex sentence, which is totally not correct. How's things? How old is he? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. I really is. I really do hope he's listening at this point because because uh, it's a sort of an ongoing joke between us. He's uh, 30, 30, 30 young. Thirty young. So he definitely shouldn't be asking you what vernacular to use because you are <laughs> well, we, fifty old. We did talk about that today. Actually, I said you know, yeah. If you're um, if you're having to ask the question, uh, you're not too old. It's as soon as. <laughs> yeah. 
as yeah. soon as you're asking the question, should I be using this word? You are definitely too old. So I think he's, there's, uh, it, it's good to know that somewhere in the north of Italy, there's a young man running around going, how's things? Hey, fella. Hey, dudes. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I love that. But I, I, I don't think I would say fella either. I would, I mean, mate, fella. It's the same, same ballpark. Yeah. So when you r- meet a room full of people that you, let's say you go into a classroom context yeah. and you're going to say hello to everybody en masse, oh, I'd... how would you greet them? Well, I don't say guys. Ah. I used to. And then you told me off. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> I used to. I definitely used to. And uh, as a sort of an informal, I'm not sure about the first thing I would have said, but I've definitely used guys in the sense of a generic everyone. Yeah. But now I just say all. Hi, all. Hey, everyone. Mm. Like that. That's what you're Mm. asking, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, because guys is another one that feels very, has always felt odd in my mouth. Mm. That guy over there. And I'm like, ooh. I, oh, I, so I, not even I, in the plural sense, just generally that. Yeah, just even if I'm, even if it is a gendered pointing, you know, that yeah. guy over there. Um, if somebody says it to me, I go. There's a. I have a um, a very gentle gag reflex to it. You know, I, I don't actually I love the catch idea of myself. A gentle, a gentle <laughs> gag reflex. Yeah, it's just a slight kind of like. Oh, I have to swallow a little harder. Yeah, a little gip. to keep. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, a gippet, if you will. <laughs> a gip is a, not a word I had experienced or heard until I came to the UK. Like dude, guy feels so very North American. Mm. I think it, it just because it sits in this kind of American uh, sort of US landscape, the, the word guy and the word dude, I think dude sort of... S- it gets a different kind of a pass for me because it's sort of there's something silly about it. Possibly because I hear I only really hear Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters going, Dude! <laughs> and so it, it has it has a different resonance. But you didn't guy see the new version, f- did you? Just to just to interrupt. no, I didn't. I no. didn't see the new right. version. Is it good? <laughs> what makes you think I saw it? Oh yeah, fair days. Um, fair dues. That's that's a that's a phrase for Federico. Fair dues. Fair dues. Yeah. What this is a, this is the mean? Federico episode. I, it is <laughs> dedicated oh. to you. This is this is going straight out to you in somewhere in Italy, Federico. <laughs> Have you just gently cupped one one ear over your uh, <laughs> over your headphones, like reaching out to Federico in the north of Italy? This one's right into your ear hole. <laughs> and uh, as if we're some kind of uh, all through the night. What do you call it? Like you know, it's three a.m. and we're playing some yeah. really chilled yeah. tunes. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> You've got the perfect voice for it, Lee. Um, there's a beautiful film that I was thinking about this morning. Um, it's not a beautiful film. You will never see it because it's a horror film, but it is a beautiful film. I've still got that on my homework, of course. I am yes. going to, one day. This is not the beautiful film that I'm referring to. That The film that you've got to go and see is the 2018 uh, Suspiria remake. Yeah. You have to see that because it's beautiful. But the film I've got I'm it lined up on my friend's Netflix account. On your friend... <laughs> <laughs> the film that you won't see you. even though it had a lovely 4k restoration a couple of years ago is john carpenter's 1981 classic the fog i have seen it you've seen it it is an amazing film 
isn't it? And the he thing is that an I amazing, love about it, go on. he is an amazing director. But yeah. the thing I love about it is Adrienne Barbeau's Stevie Wayne, the way she flicks between her normal speaking voice and her radio DJ speaking voice. So oh. she'll be on the phone going, um, Andy, no, you, you, you can't have a Coke and stomach powders. That's, that's not an okay breakfast. Okay, I've got to go. I've got to go. Ahoy there, ladies. And it's just the way she shifts that register. I mean, she's got a lovely voice to listen to speak anyway. But in, I think it's in the, I think it might be the same year, Creep Show. She plays this Harridan, this like kind of like. Is really Creep Show also a John Carpenter film? No, it's a, it's a, a, a George Romero and Stephen King collaboration. We're turning into and, a film review show, you realise? We're oh, film and word reviews. We That's all to, we do. It, yeah, all we do. Yeah. But sh- her her vocal register in that film is so like screechy and difficult to listen to, and just the you know the capacity of the human voice to to mm. go on journeys. Oh, or maybe not all human voices, but you know she's got a particularly good one. So people out there in listening land, Federico, this won't help you learn any new words, but if you want to listen to a very capable performer speaking, enjoy Stevie Wayne. Signing off from KAB News and Weather. <laughs> That's Antonio Bay here with you until the morning. It was it was basically John Carpenter's version of the shipping news, wasn't it? I would watch her do the shipping news, though. I mean, if the shipping news had was like TV, had corporeal visuals. ghosts that come back to uh, enact their horrifying revenge on a small town. I've definitely you. I've, I've definitely been more influenced by American language than you have. And that's not surprising given New Zealand's strange um, the kind of mixture of American and English mm. influences. You know, it, it's, 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 such a, it's such a strange experience when you, the first time I went to the United States going, oh, yeah, this is so familiar. Yeah. So familiar. And then going to the UK and going, oh, this is more familiar. Like it, oh, really? Yeah, it's a very, a very, uh, and the time I remember mostly was, I, I was in, uh, I was in, I just arrived in Philadelphia when those planes flew into the buildings on September 11, 2001. I just left New York City and I was in, no, uh, Philadelphia. And um, the aftermath of, the, of the, those attacks in the US and the strange feeling of being a foreigner, mm. um, uh, exacerbated or heightened by the, the kind of general response to those attacks. So I felt completely like a foreigner. It was far more so than under normal circumstances. But in October that year, maybe November, so this is, what is that, three months after? Two months, not even. So say eight weeks, six to eight weeks after I flew to London and my sense of relief was yeah. really, really strong. It's a, it was a very strange experience. There's a line in um, Hamlet, which I, I you're going to say the fog. No, that would be great if I could somehow tie it back to what I'd already said. I was just thinking about that idea of um, the the collectivity of grief. I think Claudius is talking about uh, in, in a fairly mendacious way because he's the one who killed him. What's mendacious? About, you mean uh, horrible? Full, full, of, full of lies. Oh, yes. Lying. Oh, men, oh yes. Men, mendacity. Yep. Mendacious. Bob taught me that word ages ago and I really love it. And every time I say the word mendacious, I feel like I owe her five pence because <laughs> it's one of Bob's words. I should give I should give her royalties on it. So Claudius is talking about the death of his brother, who he killed. Spoiler alert for a 500-year-old play. Sorry, everyone. 
Um, and <laughs> by the way, uh, Claudius in, did in, it. Uh, in Italian, men, mentire is to lie. So mentire. Yeah, M-E-N-T-I-R-E. Mentire. Yeah, good. But uh, um, but just so you know, the root obviously is um, the same. Yeah. Yeah, there is yeah, absolutely. Well, he talks about the idea of of the whole of Denmark. The whole the whole country has a contracted brow of woe. Oh. It's beautiful, isn't it? That idea that they're all kind of pulling the same face at the same time. Oh. And I was just thinking about the collectivity of grief there that you talk about and what we've learned about the United States over the last I think probably the since 2016 from the outside at any rate is how disparate it is. Yeah. So in, in, in many respects, that kind of that coming together is, is, is quite, um, it's quite a powerful thing, isn't it? I remember it being written and talked about at the time of the coming together of the country. You know, mm. that, there was, that people felt safer on the streets than they normally would. So the, all the usual divisions, all the usual uh, prejudices fell away because there was a much bigger other. And it, yeah. was, it was a very, it was an extremely... I mean, it was an extreme situation, clearly, but it was also strange because I, because I don't have any relationship to a flag. Like, I would never spend money on a flag. It doesn't matter what country I'm talking about here, but certainly mm. not a New Zealand flag. And yet the relationship, of course, to the Stars and Stripes in, in America is so, it's, it seems so fundamental to how they understand themselves. That, that was one of the collective things. Was I remember all the conversations about running out of flags, that people, it was really hard to buy Stars and Stripes at the time. In the, in the aftermath of Brexit, seeing European flags or seeing the George's Cross and that sense of, that sense of division that was visible and people wanting to kind of communicate their yeah. sense of in or out. Yeah, putting, um, a, putting a stake in the, uh, you know, a flag in the ground. Like this is, yeah, the, absolutely I, this is that. where I absolutely stand. Absolutely that. And I think I've always had a little bit of a, a struggle with the English flag. It's, it feels like it's been co-opted by, um, by narratives that don't... Are you talking about St George's flag as opposed to the Union yeah, flag? Yeah, I am. I am. It feels hard to be patriotic in England because it's been co-opted by far-right narratives. Yep. That that particular symbol skews right. Yeah, it's the same as the as the um, the southern. What's the southern flag called? The uh, the Confederate flag. The Confederate I flag. Think, it's the, yeah. The, I think you would probably get people in in the UK arguing with you that the uh, the St George's flag is not as nakedly. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not suggesting that there there's some kind of equivalence there. I think putting up a Confederate flag at this point in history is a fuck you. But it's, I have quite a strong memory of. Um, uh, <laughs> Of, uh, I was laughing because I used to sit in this big vinyl chair, vinyl brown chair, of course, 1970s, uh, with my dad. And um, I used to have such a strong physical memory of being sort of squeezed into the chair, as, even as I got a little bit bigger and him kind of um, kind of hugging me and holding on to me. But he used to do this thing, often while we were watching the news, which never I was never wanting to watch the news, but it was just that feeling of being next to him. But he used to do this thing where, he'd, with his finger, <laughs> he'd just sort of slowly, really subtly reach over and try and um, jab me in the neck. And uh, I used to scrunch up my shoulder to my neck to stop him doing it, or to try and trap his finger. And uh, but he used to. So there was this kind of constant. It was like a constant background hum of a game between us, which was 
the antithesis of the sense of comfort I felt in that uh, in that particular chair. And I can't remember. Oh, yes, I can remember now while I was telling the story. But um, it's quite a strong memory of his abhorrence of anything to do with nationalism. And so I was very young learning by osmosis, effectively, that the way in which flags function as, as devices or symbols of nationalism. And it wasn't like he was saying this flag or that flag. or He was saying all flags. It's, it stays with me to now, today, for sure. I've, I have so little interest. I, I don't mean I have political interest in the way flags uh, function, for sure. But in terms of flying one, nah, I could never do it. Yeah, I I don't know, I don't know what circumstances would, would have me put a flag up. I think you know this is a it is an ongoing theme in a way which is we can never know the context with which we carry anything, you know, or for example, even say anything like you know, even some of these conversations. If you lifted, if you lifted something I'd said or something you'd said out of the context within which it was happening, or even even if you didn't know us, so you hadn't spent, you know, since October listening to these conversations and getting to know us in a particular way, that pulled out of context, they would be, um, I mean, terrible. Yeah, and 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 also to to a greater or lesser extent, meaningless. Yeah, and I think that's, for me, what flags and bags and all of those kinds of external signifiers do. And I think it is about the the, the lack of context and that sense of allying yourself to a particular position without without the opportunity to then talk it through. Oh, I was uh, started filling out a survey. I belong to the, the, you know, effectively the teachers' union, and they had a survey about... Um, free speech in universities and I started filling out the survey and I got I don't know how far through it I was maybe I was a third maybe a quarter maybe a half I had to stop and I had to stop because it was so clear the political position of the people who'd written the fucking questions was so obvious and it was so clear that they hadn't thought through any of the nuances of any of this conversation I had to stop it just it was so frustrating it was so, so frustrating that I'm not represented. The things I've been thinking about this thing are not even represented in the options I have to choose. And I don't think I'm an outlier. It was so frustrating. But even if you are an outlier... I should still... You, you should still be represented because a questionnaire is supposed to be neutral. No, forget that. I'm not even worried about the union. I'm worried about the. I'm worried about the methodology. Yeah. A questionnaire that's been well designed, and you know, th- this is frustrating, isn't it? Because we're talking about an academic union that should have access to people who are working in the social about sciences, that stuff. and therefore should be able to construct a questionnaire that is neutral. I was being. I was effectively being. I was being funneled into. Um, like like sheep when they at the freezing works in Wainawa. It was so frustrating. Flags. It's the same thing, right? It's it's yeah, or the same thing as you've just described, which is wow, it's shorn of context. This is a complex thing that really deserves people having conversations and nuanced conversations and all those kinds of things, but now. Is Gavin Williamson a prick? Yes. Would I wear a t shirt to that effect? No. <laughs> I mean it's because just there, sums it up beautifully. 
There's a conversation to be had around why he's a prick. There's a conversation to be had around why the stuff he said recently, the idea of dead-end degrees, really needs to be interrogated. I was talking to Bob yesterday Wait, morning just about so, I just cloning. Want to, Gavin Williamson, just for people who may not know, because not all our listeners, all our listeners in Kazakhstan, for example, may not know that Gavin Williamson is the, what is he, the Minister of Education? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the UK. And he, yeah. he's... he's it's it's hard to he doesn't seem to be doing the best job for lots of different reasons which we could go into but go you were talking with Bob we have we we talked about it in here in the past but I think we've always cut him out because um, <laughs> I, I think you know my gentle gag reflex has been activated but I think <laughs> we have discussed the fact that he is he feels to be or the or the way he communicates himself in the world he seems to be singularly unqualified to talk about education. He because he seem seems disinterested in it. I was talking to Bob yesterday about cloning, and I asked the stupid question. Because I was thinking about Barbara Streisand's dogs. I thought you were talking about Star Wars, but no, you were talking about Barbara Streisand's dogs. Well, I was thinking, I was actually... The, talking about the Clone Wars. I was, well, I was thinking about The Bad Batch. Have you been watching it? Not yet. Is it good? It's, it's very good. Is it it's really? Very, yeah, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I've been really what's, enjoying what's it. What's it on? Did you get Disney Plus? Um, you know your friend's Netflix account that you've, you've got borrowed. a friend. Got, send me the I've password. Borrowed. In fact, shout just tell me to, the password now. <laughs> shout out to Terry and James. Thank you very much. Terry and James, could you flip me an email and uh, just? <laughs> it's an info at midlife.net. <laughs> so I've been um, I've been watching the Bad Batch and really really enjoying it. And then I was thinking about Barbara Streisand's dogs. <laughs> You know that she cloned her dogs. I didn't know that. Why would you think I'd know that? Oh, because I thought everybody knew. Barbara Streisand cloned her dogs. Famously (laughs) cloned her dogs. And what was was the second bit of you? She cloned her dogs and... Um, and that's it. She, she but have they, do, do they exist, the cloned versions? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, they, they wander around the world being little versions of, or presumably now fully grown versions of the dogs that have now died. So she loved them so much, and she is so rich, she invested in cloning. You know, she invested in that process of hundreds of thousands of dollars to get versions of the dogs. My jaw, I, my jaw has seriously dropped. I, 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 it, that... But the technology exists. Yeah, but it? just so, because we have the technology doesn't mean we need to rebuild them. But yeah, Steve Austin, yes. Man barely alive. <laughs> we can rebuild it. We have the technology. <laughs> we can make them fitter, faster, stronger. <laughs> was there a three million dollar woman later? Yeah. No, it was the six million dollar man and the bionic woman, oh, played that's by right. Lindsay Wagner. Make her cheaper. Yeah, she fell out of uh, her parachute. Didn't go. That's off. right. I remember the. She, other... she was introduced as a girlfriend to Lee Majors' uh, character, Steve Austin. Um, and then had a spin-off show, um, and she became the bionic woman. And her special powers, as well as like running in slow motion, she could hear rather than see. So she had That's extra right. bionic hearing. God, I loved those shows. Oh, it was so good. Me, I loved them. Too. I, well, I, I, certainly the Six Million Dollar Man. So Barbara Streisand. You were talking was... to Bob about cloning. I was talking to Bob about cloning because I was thinking about the Bad Batch. And then I was thinking about Barbara Streisand's dogs. And we were just lying in bed in the morning. And then I went, Bob, why, ha- why can't they clone people? And Bob said, 
they can clone people, Lee. It's just, we're not supposed to. It's like, huh, why are we not supposed to clone people? Because of the ethics of it, Lee. Because it's ethically problematic. It's great that you've got a teacher that you... Uh... It is. It's so good that I've got somebody in the house who will tell me why we can't do things. And then that led to us having a conversation about why art becomes so important because the science exists, but it's the, it's kind of arts and humanities that remind us to have those conversations about, well, what happens when? And effectively, that's what the Bad Batch is doing. I think I was thinking about this in relation to that, you know, that, that broader conversation and then and Bob saying, is, that's why we need arts and that's why we need humanities because we want to have these conversations because the science can do it and if we only invest in the science and we only value stem subjects and we don't have the conversations about why we should or shouldn't do something just can we do it which is effectively where gavin williamson's argument of dead-end subjects will take us Mm. it will take us to that place so that can't be put on a t-shirt it certainly can't be but well remit can i can I say, I am super impressed. I had long forgotten your Gavin Williamson t-shirt. But that is... Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm super impressed that you held on through all those tangents. They might not sound quite so tangential when I cut out a significant portion of the verbiage. Yesterday, I went and saw a friend, uh, uh, met up with a friend who I hadn't seen since, well, possibly December 2019, but certainly early 2020, a very close and dear friend. And um, we hugged, and it was one of those hugs that stayed, you know, where you just get to rest in it. Mm. And it was so, so profoundly bodily and so profoundly beautiful in the way in which you get to feel someone's body in not in, in, in the only way of sense of here is this person to me this person is here and it was so so moving and so beautiful and it also did remind me is we weren't even close to breathing on each other because in a really deep hug you like you're breathing past the person anyway yeah, so yeah. but i mean you know forget about the science i mean i was quite happy not to hug people for for however long but it was just it was so moving and it was like a, i mean i know we're so far from the end of this pandemic but mm. it was it felt like such an amazing marker of a change in it it was really really just just staggeringly beautiful 